Please join me in a word of prayer. Almighty God and gracious Father, we come to you today, Lord, in this space to worship you. Lord, we're at the time of worship where we will open your word. We ask that you will clear us of distractions. Lord, help us to fill ourselves with you so that when we leave this place, it is you that people will see. Please bless your servant, Pastor Chris, as he delivers your word to us. Amen. There are two passages today. The first one is from the first book of Peter, chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, found on page 1888. And the second one is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Page 1872, if you want to read along. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. From Hebrews, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. And then he said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them though they were offered in accordance with the law. And then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, 
he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Audrey. So we're working our way through the different metaphors that are in that first Peter passage. And today we land on the metaphor of a royal priesthood. And so we'll be spending some time unpacking that image as we go through. I want to begin, though, by reminding us of, of something uh, we did last week, because we'll come back to it a couple times. So last week, I talked about how the Reformed tradition has a tendency to, to do this. Get our little little scopes out, and, and we focus in on a particular aspect of our salvation. And last week I said we, we sometimes need to set that scope aside to see the broad reach of Scripture and how throughout Scripture we have this testimony of God's affection for us, God's deep love for us, and, and that it is God's desire to wrap his arms around us, to call us his children. So there's this, this foundation we can say, of God's grace and God's love, God's affection for us. This week, we need to pick up that, that little scope, though, and we need to look in a little bit more at, at the situation we're in and the way God responds to that situation. So we'll, we'll do some digging in and some focusing in more on the particulars of our salvation today. We're going to start, though, with our problem. We'll talk about how we're stuck in sin. And then we'll go to God's response in Jesus Christ and how our sins are forgiven. And the place we're going to end up is really where we get into what does it mean to be a royal priesthood. And we'll talk about how the Spirit's gifts uh, have been given to us. And, and it really is a call for us to become like Jesus. Some of you may know that line. Okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. It's from the commander of one of the spaceships that was going to land on the moon. They were two days into their journey of the Apollo 13 mission when suddenly one of their oxygen tanks blew. It blew up, it caused damage to all sorts of systems in, in the shuttle, and they were not going to be able to land on the moon on the moon, the question actually became, were they even going to be able to get home? And they spent all sorts of energy trying to manipulate what they had in the actual uh, uh, capsule with them to try and make it work. They had to evacuate part of the capsule and go into a part that they weren't supposed to be in in order to make it back home safely. And they did eventually make it home. In fact, the interesting part was because they couldn't land on the moon, they actually traveled further from the earth than any other spaceship has gone so far. 
They got further away from where they wanted to be. But their destination had been the moon, and they never made it there. The brokenness of this system got in the way, and, and they came out with what now has become modified a little bit from that. When people get in a problem, they often say, especially if it's an unexpected problem, Houston, we've got a problem. If we take seriously this passage, we bump into that same thing. Hebrews 10 verse 11 says this, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. They had this whole system. I, we're not going to read it all, but I do want to read just a few verses uh, to give us some of the background to what's being talked about in this Hebrews 10 passage. This is, this is just part of what was to happen one day of year on the Day of Atonement. Just a little bit of it. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin, to make atonement for himself and his household. And then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall... Sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, who will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And it goes on and on and on. There was a whole elaborate ritual set up here. They had a whole system set up, not just the big one day of the year, Day of Atonement, but day in and day out, there was offerings to be given for sin offerings to make atonement for the people so that they could be released from their sins. But the next day, the sins had get accumulated again, and they were back there doing the same offerings again and again. And they did this for centuries, bringing those offerings before God, saying, God, we've sinned again. It's on us again. Please forgive us. God grants forgiveness. And then the next day, they're back at it again and saying, Lord, forgive us again. We begin to get a place where you hear the truth of this Hebrews passage. All these sacrifices that the priest does day in and day out and that the high priest does once a year, all of that together, it never takes away the sin. People are left 
in their sin. Houston, we've got a problem. How are we ever going to get right with God? What we begin to understand in this problem is that no matter what we do, we can't make ourselves right with God. No matter how much effort we put into our religion and into following God, we cannot make ourselves right with God. That's how great our sin is. I could ask some of you, how many times have you been to worship here in this church? Jerry, Mary, how many times? Thousand since 1951. 52 times a year for 60 plus years. 67 years. 66 years. No offense, but that doesn't make your sin forgiven. <laughs> right? <laughs> Say it again, yeah. And, and it doesn't matter how much money we've put in the offering plate. If we put it in every week of the year for 50 plus years... It doesn't forgive our sin. And it doesn't matter if we send our kids to Christian schools all the way through, not just high school, but all the way through university. It doesn't forgive us of our sins. It doesn't matter how many times we read the Bible, how much scripture we've read, how many hours we spend in prayer. It doesn't matter if we get like the Apostle James who was said to have camel knees. That's what they called them, old camel knees because he built calluses up on his knees from praying. It does not forgive us our sins. We wake up the next day and we are still in our sin. Heidelberg Catechism starts off with this great thing of telling us about the comfort we have that we belong body and soul and life and in death to Jesus Christ. But then it reminds us in the very next question and answer that in order to experience that comfort, we need to know the depth of our misery. That our sin really is something that has separated us from God. Canons of Dort add it this way. God is not only supremely merciful but also supremely just. This justice requires, as God has revealed in the word, that the sins we have committed against his infinite majesty be punished with both temporal and eternal punishments of soul as well as body. We cannot escape these punishments unless satisfaction is given to God's justice. We live in a day and an age where we like to blow over our sin and we talk about our mistakes. We often use language of, it's our brokenness. We're just broken. But we don't talk about the gravity of our sin very often. Our sin is so serious that it really has separated us from God's presence. The beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, right at the end of that, right after the consequences are given, God actually pushes Adam and Eve out of the garden. And it, it, it's referred to in Scripture as God separating himself from us and us from him. We are separated from God because of our sin. And the whole story, one of my professors said, the whole story of Scripture unfolds there of asking the question, how do we get back to God? How do we get back to God? We have been separated because of our sin. Now what? 
no matter what we do, we can't get back there on our own efforts. Houston, we've got a problem. This passage doesn't leave us in the midst of our problem. And thankfully, God doesn't either. The very next article in the Canons of the Dort responds to the depth of our sin this way. Since, however, we ourselves cannot give this satisfaction or deliver ourselves from God's wrath, God in boundless mercy, there's that affection of God again, God in boundless mercy has given us as a guarantee his only begotten Son, who is made to be sin and a curse for us in our place on the cross in order that he might give satisfaction for us. Sometimes we call this act of God, giving Jesus Christ in our place, substitutionary atonement. That's the big theological phrase for it. Jesus substituting himself in our place, even though he was not sinful, taking on our sin actually the, one of the passages in, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, one of those passages says he became sin for us. He took on the full extent of all our sin, everything that separated us from God, he took on himself so that we could be reunited with God. We could re-enter God's presence. In this way, Jesus is taking on the role of the priest the high priest. The high priest was doing all of those things. And I don't know if you caught it in that bit I read from Leviticus, that as he entered the Holy of Holies, that place before the atonement cover, and, and he was supposed to put those things there, it, it would raise up the smoke cloud. The incense and the blood would create the smoke cloud to cover the atonement cover so that the priest would not die. Jesus is entering in in a way that imitates the high priest's role in God's presence in such a way and giving his own life in such a way so that he will not that we will not die when we come into God's presence the hebrews passage continuing right after verse 11 puts it this way but when this priest being Jesus Christ had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is where we're, we're really focused in. We're really focused in on the technical things of what God has done in Jesus Christ what those daily sacrifices were unable to do to keep us in God's presence, to keep us right with God. Jesus, by his death, has made us right with God. And we see a glimpse of it in this passage because it says he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus sat down in God's presence. There was no more coming in and out of God's presence. There was no more putting the offerings there to gain access to God. Jesus had made the access permanent. Our flesh, our humanity, Jesus Christ sitting down in God's presence. No more sacrifice for sins 
needing to be made. No more separation between us and God. We are united with God, drawn into his presence again. That, that question that Genesis chapter 3 evokes of how will we ever get back into God's presence is resoundingly answered in Jesus' death on the cross. The only way we get back is not because of what we do, but because of what God does on our behalf in Jesus Christ. The next article in the Canons of the Door kind of adds to this emphasis or, or drives it home a bit more. This death of God's Son is the only and entirely complete sacrifice and satisfaction for sins. It is of infinite value and worth, more than sufficient to atone for the sins of the whole world. You know, these sacrifices that the priests were offering day in and day out, and the high priest once a year, were for the people of God, the, the little tribe of Israel. It, it was for that one people. Jesus' sacrifice. It's not just for that chosen people of Israel. It's for the whole world. And the canons of Dort isn't just kind of pulling this out of thin air. They're actually getting it from a scripture passage. This is 1 John chapter 2, the first couple verses. My dear children, do you hear the affection again? My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is doing what those sacrifices couldn't do. He's atoning for the sins of the whole world. In fact, he's restoring the whole world to relationship with God. He's saying, you can come into God's presence again. You no longer need to be afraid and standing off at a distance. I have done the priestly role of reuniting you with God, of drawing you into God's presence again so that you can experience God's love and faithfulness and mercy and affection. I've done the work. I've done the sacrifice so that you can experience the presence of God in your own life. almost feel like we should pause and shout this out together, right? We were in our sin, totally separated from God, unable to get back to God. We were as far out as we could go. We were in the risk of never being able to get back to God. And, and God in Jesus Christ worked a miracle to draw us back to himself through Jesus' death. This is the good news. Not only us, but all of the world is being reunited. Our sins are forgiven completely and forever. All right, this is the point if we're in a different tradition, you start shouting amen. All right? Amen! This is God's love for us. That while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, God reconciled us to himself in Jesus Christ. God has forgiven our sins completely. And go through the Ten Commandments. You've got other gods before God? He's forgiven you. 
none of those sins in that Ten Commandments. Go down that list. You've murdered someone. You've lusted. You've broken the Sabbath. You've stolen. None of those sins are so great that they can keep you from God's love anymore. They can no longer tear you apart and force you away because in Jesus Christ, every one of those sins, every sin that you or I have ever committed has been forgiven. We have been made whole with God. There is no sin that keeps us away from him anymore. We are forgiven now. We are forgiven tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day until we see God face to face every one of our sins, everything that we have ever done to violate God's righteousness and justice, God's majesty and honor has been forgiven in Jesus Christ. None of us are so sinful that we've fallen out of the reach of God's grace in Jesus Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. That is Jesus Christ as the high priest stepping in and saying, I've got you. I will not let you remain apart from God and out of his presence. You are welcome home. Come home again. The Holy Spirit's gift when we've been forgiven much, we are called to learn to live greatly in joy and in thanksgiving. This is in the next part of that Hebrews passage, and, and the writer of Hebrews is quoting a couple other texts, one of them famously out of Jeremiah, the first one in there. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. We're no longer bound to the duties and the regulations and the have-tos of religion to try and make ourselves appeasing to God. Instead, we've been given new hearts and new minds. The Holy Spirit is at work in us. We call this sanctification. Big word of making us holy before God. The Holy Spirit's work is to intercede in us and work in such a way that our hearts actually desire God's new way of life. And our minds begin to think and work along the lines of desiring God's new way of life. We long to live with God in the fullness of life that God has for us. And so the question might come, what does that fullness of life look like? And that's where we get into the royal priesthood piece. You see, Christ who interceded on our behalf and Christ who died on our behalf and Christ who loved us fully has set an example for us that as the Spirit works in us, we become more Christ-like. There's this wonderful little statement in the contemporary testimony, which is one of our, our documents as the Christian Reformed Church that we try to put into today's language what it means to follow God. And when it talks about this sacrifice Christ has made, it, it says this, being both divine and human, Jesus is the only mediator. He alone paid the debt for our sin. There is no other Savior. 
And we are chosen in Christ to become like him in every way. God's electing love sustains our hope. God's grace is free to save sinners who offer nothing but their need for mercy. In many ways, we've, we've been cleansed. We've been made clean. We've been given a new start because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And that new start is not so that we can all of a sudden repeat everything and, and do it better. It's so that we can become more like Jesus. And I want to give us two things this morning where we take on that priestly role, that royal priesthood reality that Jesus has. One comes from Ephesians 4, and end of Ephesians 4 and the start of Ephesians 5. This is part of what it means for us to become more like Jesus. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Instead of being consumed with this daily ritual of how do I make myself right with God, we get the privilege and the opportunity of saying, because I have been made right with God, how can I love others? And it's not just, my mom's here today. It's not just, how can I love my mom? and show love to my mom. It's how can I love the people I don't know? How, how can I love the people who God has placed in the house next door to me or the apartment above me or at the desk next to me in school? It's how can I love the person I'm passing on the street? It was downtown Friday night. We're down on Rebecca and James with a bunch of Redeemer students as they were serving hot chocolate to some of the people on the street. And was talking with a guy named Dale, and Dale, Dale's been living on the street for eight years. And he sees himself as, as being kind of a missionary to be on the street and to look out for people who are on the street who have no place to stay. And he says, you know what? The people down here don't need more programs. They don't need an institution or a church or an organization to come in and say, we're going to do it right and we're going to fix everything. What the people on the street need is simply someone to say, come up to them and say, you're still loved. I sat there and went, I'm learning right now. But that's what Dale was talking about. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ has forgiven us loving one another just as Christ has loved us and laid his life down for us, so too we have the privilege now of spending ourselves, of laying our lives down for others that they might experience the love of God, the presence of God, just as Jesus laid down his life that we might experience the presence of God. And one other passage. It's Romans 8. Verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. We're not living under that con condemning way of life anymore where our sins are put in front of us day in and day out. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. His work of intercession that he did to mediate that gap between God and us, to, to get rid of that, that distance between us and God and bring us home to God, continues. 
as he's before the Father now, sitting at God's right hand, he continues to intercede for us. And we too are called into that role, that priestly role of interceding. So along with the acts of love and and the generosity of forgiving one another, we are called to be a people who are in prayer for one another. Do as Mark was leading us in earlier, but not just here on Sunday morning from the pulpit with one of the elders praying, but day in and day out as a way of life. Our prayers shift from, God, I'm such a sinful person, find way to forgive me, to God, because you have forgiven me and you have wrapped me in your presence, please draw the rest of the world into your presence. Let the rest of the world come to know your forgiving grace, your atoning sacrifice in Jesus Christ. May the whole world come to know you, Lord. And not just the whole world, but to start interceding for specific people. Whether children of this church who have grown up and walked away, whether neighbors or co-workers or friends who have yet to call upon the name of Jesus, we are called to sit with Jesus in the Father's presence and begin to name names, not in judgment, but in longing that they, just as we, might experience the reconciliation of God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. You are so faithful, God. when we had a problem we could not solve and we could not fix and we could not get back to you, you came after us. You sent your son Jesus Christ to grab hold of us and draw us home that we might be in your presence once again. Thank you. Thank you for forgiving our sins through Jesus' death. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the sacrifice we could not pay for making us right with God the Father. Holy Spirit, will you usher us into this life of priesthood where we love and forgive as Christ has loved and forgiven us, where we intercede for others and for the whole world even as Christ intercedes for us. We pray this not because we are righteous on our own, but because you have made us righteous and even now you are giving us a new heart and a new mind. Come Lord Jesus. Come Holy Spirit. Live and dwell in us, we pray. Amen.